Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. It has been an awesome and adventurous weekend, and I'm excited to cap it off with finishing off some of these POV Crypto episodes that we have been working hard to create for y'all. I think last week we put out like four different videos, um, so check out our YouTube how do you feel about like the machine that is POV crypto these days? Dude, we had like a crazy last week, week and a half, and then we have a crazy week ahead of us. We have E3 coming. We have uh, William Yoger uh, that we're recording with tomorrow. Uh, we have Ryan, Sean Adams, and Eric Connor, which we're recording with on on Thursday. Um, we have... This is coming out on that Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Today, we, we recorded with Ryan Sean Adams and Eric Connor. Who else do we have? We got a lot of people. I think ETH Week has started a long time ago, and yeah, we true. did conclude unofficially Bitcoin Week. There was like six different, more Bitcoin prominent podcasts in a row. So we bring it all here on POV Crypto, and mm. you know that when you listen in that you're going to get both sides no matter what. So it's always interesting. And we also got Dan Elitzer, who we're going to talk about blockchain gaming, kind of a continuation on the Pool Together content, just a little bit more about like gaming financial applications that are emerging on Ethereum. So lots of good stuff coming. Pretty excited for it. Hell yeah. But before we can get into that, let's talk about the sponsors. First sponsor, Realty, tokenized real estate on Ethereum. Real, I work at Realty. I'm the COO, so full disclosure. Uh, we are a tokenized real estate company. We put uh, properties inside the United States, inside of ERC20 tokens on Ethereum, fractionalize them up, and send them out and about into the wild. Uh, so we have a, a bunch of properties on our website. They are all rent-producing properties, and we pay out rent every single day in Dai stablecoin or your stablecoin of choice. Pretty cool that we can we can send out rent every 24 hours. Uh, it's pretty good use of the blockchain, in my opinion. Hopefully, we can get even faster than that. I want to be able to send out rent every hour, um, but that takes a little bit more of research and development. Uh, by now, we've probably released the announcement that Realty, our flagship property, 9943 Marlowe, is inside of Uniswap, which means that we've also provided liquidity to real estate, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and so uh, if you are on the whitelist, because these are all technically security tokens, um, if you are on the whitelist, you can go to uh, Uniswap and buy real estate right through Uniswap. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you guys can check us out at Realty.co, R-E-A-L-T dot C-O. Yeah, it's been awesome watching you build Realty. So congrats on all the success, David. And hopefully we keep seeing it grow and Realty keeps sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> on to the next sponsor is eToro. You guys have heard it all before. eToro, the number one social trading platform. I love this company because one, they support Bitcoin and crypto media. They enable content creators like ourselves to do what we do. But number two, because they are all about creating financial inclusiveness. They are bringing financial products to the United States that have never been there before. Number one is their newest feature, the copy trader feature. This feature allows you to copy any trader that is on the platform and follow what they do. Obviously, you should do your due diligence before copying a trader, but you know some of them are, in fact, very good at what they do, and you can take advantage of their skill set with one click of a mouse on eToro. Make sure to check it out at b.tc backslash eToro POV. Once more, b.tc backslash eToro POV. I'm hopeful in the next week too, we're going to have a eToro.com vanity URL. But until then, go to the b.tc link so that way we get credit for sending you to eToro. Check it out again. A lot of cool features. They're doing a lot of amazing stuff there. Dave, let's talk about this interview. I think it was exactly one year from the first time we had Zach Cole on the podcast. It was episode number 20, and that was one of our first like really kind of groundbreaking interviews, bringing someone into uh, the stratosphere who deserved it and had a lot of personality, and he's been doing a ton of stuff since then. Uh, super honored. Freaking, I think it's probably episode number 93 or 94. That's what this is going to be. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can't believe we pumped out 70-something interviews since. 
Um, but since then, Zach has been up to a lot as well. He is now the CEO of White Block, and White Block is raising funds. They are launching a SaaS product. They're doing a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, and this interview had no boring spots in it. It was a debate after debate. Uh, David, how do you feel about this? Yeah, just to, to add on to that, I think the first interview we did with Zach forever ago was, I think, the first time I realized exactly where our niche was, which was a funny, entertaining, informative podcast that has a lot of its if, ands, and buts in it. Uh, and so Zach definitely has its influence on POV crypto and kind of helping establish our brand. Uh, so, so tip of the hat to Zach. He's also really, really smart. Uh, and so you guys will get a taste of that in, in the show. Um, and he, he has exposure to a bunch of different crypto projects, both like both Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then also altcoins. Uh, and then he has opinions on every single one and why. And so like, there's this one altcoin called Syscoin that he's bullish on. And, and if you guys want to hear more, more about that, you can read, listen to the first interview. Um, but then he's also bullish on Bitcoin for all the, the classic Bitcoin arguments. So it's interesting to get Zach's perspective because he's in the middle of so many blockchain ecosystems. Uh, and then he also has opinions about them all. So it's good to good to hear what he has to say. You didn't mention that he's actively developing E2. So really, mm -hmm. like this guy is everywhere. And in my opinion, someone that everyone should be listening to more. So without further ado, super stoked to bring you Zach Cole. You guys, super excited to bring my boy Zach Cole back on the show. Zach, you come to us now as the new hailed CEO of White Block. How's it going, bro? Feeling like a champion, Christian. Dude. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, dude. I think last time you were on was like episode 20 something. That was pretty early on. Uh, you're probably one of our first guests next to uh, Amin and uh, Anta Linder and some of the others. Uh, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for supporting the show early mm -hmm. on before we had sponsors or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. You guys have sponsors now growing up, man. Yeah. Proud uh -huh. of you guys. It's been great. It's been a That's good the first interview. That was the first interview that we had where our feedback was like, oh man, that was a really good interview. Uh, you know, good job bringing on uh, such a great guest. Uh, so, oh, well, thanks. Thank thanks, you very man. much. Yeah. I have, uh, I've, uh, never been a great guest before. I don't know. I don't know if I have or not. <laughs> I know that I know that on another podcast I was on, uh, their interview with me was their first, uh, episode that was marked explicit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Maybe we should have marked ours explicit too, because yeah, all, almost all of our episodes are a little explicit, but we yeah. always mark them as clean on iTunes. Well, the last time, the last time we were, uh, I was on the, I was on uh POV with you guys. Uh, we were at the white block office, yeah. uh, you and I Christian, and we were like drinking whiskey. So I think by like the, toward the end of that episode, things were getting a little rowdy because the, uh, the old the old whiskey was kicking in, you know. Yeah, this missing out on the whiskey was a miss. This, uh, we should have brought <laughs> yeah, whiskey. Yeah, yeah. This, this is uh, timely because that was like like eight months ago, nine months ago, and you guys just tweeted out that you put put out your one year old report on EOS, and oh, yeah. it was a pretty extensive report. Really impressive. It read like a research document, which I guess it's what it was. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I skipped to the conclusion and, and read the conclusion and it was just the most deadly demolishing of EOS I, I've ever heard. It was pretty yeah. fun. And you know what? Like, it, like all the flack and the like shit we got back from the EOS community, everything that we had called out has proven to be uh, true and correct. Like all like the collusion, like all of the issues that were like pre present in that system and its architecture, like, that they all tried to just explicitly deny and like label us as kind of like shills or whatever. Like you, you can't say that we were wrong, like about any of that. Yeah. And like some of the stuff they flat out admitted, like, you know, the whole collusion issue is like very real. Yeah, no, definitely. Did you guys talk about, uh, about, uh, validators turning off because the price went too low? No, I don't No, We did not I mean, but that's an economic, actually it might be covered in like one of the tokenomic sections. I didn't write that though. I, I strictly wrote about like the protocol layer and like stuff that was like kind of specific to like how the system was architected. Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Litecoin, almost every crypto has some form of like difficulty adjustment. Even mm -hmm. ETH 2.0 with staking will have like 
um, some sort of, you know, in- inflation that changes based on how many people are staking. EOS doesn't have a difficulty Issuance. adjustment aspect. When the price goes too low, like it's not like the price of running a validator goes lower. <laughs> like right. they yeah, just yeah. get so they, they have to cover that cost. <laughs> and because like the protocol itself was so computationally intensive and had such high demands that there's no way they could possibly break even. Yeah, like, so they sh- just turn off. Yeah, mm. it was crazy. And, like, and, and actually, like, after, I don't know if I talked about this on the last call, or I mean, on the last interview or not, but after we, re- we released that report, I was added to this group called, like, EOS White Block. Oh, you, you talked about Okay, yeah. yeah. So, but most of those people aren't even in the EOS community anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like a null point to even talk about anymore, because I'd say it's, you know, mostly dead in the water, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Prove us wrong, EOS community. Rally together. So, Zach, uh, can you explain to our listeners what White Block is? Why EOS paid you to do whatever you did? What did you well, do EOS for them? EOS didn't pay us. Oh, okay. Who, whoever paid you to, whoever paid for White Block services to um, do what White Block does? What, what is what White Block does? And then also, what, how has that changed and developed uh, to what you guys do now? Yeah, so we kind of like at the beginning of the company, we were mostly delivering services. I built out a lab in our office and we ran tests and analysis on different protocols and uh, systems and applications that were specific to blockchain. Um, at a certain point, that, uh, uh, that service model doesn't really become scalable. So what we've done and what we've been heads down on is like translating um, that services aspect of the company into a SaaS platform that automates that process so that way users and anybody that wants to can just, uh, you know, subscribe to the platform. It's also available in open source and kind of like run those tests on their own with as much granularity and uh, um, uh, like speed that we're able to deliver those services. So what kind of of tests specifically and who would want these tests? What we do is we provide practical functional tests. So what you do is you indicate what application you're running or whichever protocol and the protocol is like provisioned within a, uh, that application is provisioned within a container in a closed environment. And each of those uh, uh, like nodes exists within their own VLAN, like virtual local area network, and they're assigned their own IP address. So that way, when they communicate with one another um, within this controlled environment, um, they're communicating with each other across like a wide area network. And we can shape the traffic between those nodes with like uh, packet loss or latency or bandwidth constraints. So that way you can say like node one is in Tokyo, node two is in China, et cetera, et cetera. And they actually communicate with one another as if they are geographically uh, distributed. So we're replicating a distributed system uh, production uh, uh, system at at scale in a controlled environment. So users can kind of deterministically observe how protocols are going to perform within production and at scale, like in real life. um, but in a way that reduces their cost because you don't have to pay for all of that infrastructure um, and it reduces their risk because they can uh, kind of like one by one go down a list and incrementally test different aspects of their application or protocol. So you can implement stuff like network partitions and you can observe what it's like and what performance is once like a group of nodes is unable to communicate to another for scenarios like 51% attacks or, you know, um, like uh, you can test fault tolerance. Uh, you can automate transactions or any particular behavior or activity between nodes. So whatever you would do on a test net, you can do in a much more controlled and automated way on white block. And that helps speed up the development process and, helps users develop uh, more practical and viable solutions with speed, greater speed and accuracy. So, cause kind of now like the whole architectural and development process for blockchain is like throwing shit at a wall and hoping that something sticks and that it works. And some people don't even test until they're alive. And that's kind of a pretty big gamble, especially if we're trying to build, you know, business ready or enterprise grade systems. There's just, it's just not, there, there aren't any tools that are specific to distributed systems let alone blockchain. So that's where our focus is. And we want to provide a better developer experience so we could onboard more users from the web two space, kind of like build a more successful web three, you know, world. Is that what you're doing now? Or is that what you were doing then? And if it's changed at all between like a year ago and and today, like 
what what has changed? How has your client clientele changed? Like who are you do, doing business for that you weren't doing business for a year ago? What's kind of the scope of uh, white block services and how has that developed over time? Yeah, so a lot, so um, in terms of vision and like what we provide, like nothing has changed other than the fact that like rather than being services oriented, mm -hmm. we've translated those tools that we created internally into a SaaS platform mm -hmm. that we're releasing in January. So now people would be able to use that SaaS platform to, to uh, uh, drive their own testing and development processes. And our tools integrate with their CICD, their protocol agnostic. So it's not specific to just Ethereum or any one particular platform. You can just test whatever it is you're building um, effectively. And, you know, uh, we built out a larger team. Like I recently hired a C-suite that includes our CTO, Antoine Toulme. He was formerly at Consensus. Um, we had, uh, we have... Uh, Ben Burns, he's our chief product officer. He built Ganache. He was on the Truffle team. Uh, so we've really like put together like a pretty uh, great team of experienced, you know, leaders. And we're just heads down building product. We're still delivering services and we still work with like ETH2. We mm -hmm. received an EF grant and that's, we're working in collaboration with like some, some guys from like protocol labs and evaluating and testing gossip sub um, within the lib P2P stack for uh production readiness and kind of just uh, benchmarking. And uh, that's been a pretty grueling process because it's just, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're retaining our academic integrity. So, so what are you guys doing for ETH2? Like, wh where are your, where is White Block's fingers getting into the ETH2 world? Yeah, so we like drove the, uh, like we worked and collaborated at the, like the interoperability lock-in and Toronto or outside of Toronto. I think it was that late. I didn't personally go because um, my wedding was earlier this month. So I was kind of ready for that. Thank you. A lot you. of congrats, man. A lot yeah. of congrats. You just killed it. Thank you it. very much. Yes. I love my wife. And uh, that uh, that's why I also I missed out on Dev, DevCon as well. So my wife's name is Devin. So I had my own <laughs> DevCon, uh, you know, with her <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway <laughs> um so then we're also like helping uh kind of identify and like harden the network stack and the protocol stack is there aren't really enough experienced hands uh um, when it comes to actual pure peer-to-peer -peer, um, networking protocols like a lot of people don't really understand that a lot of people are more focused on the application layer but they're not really thinking about what's under the hood in terms of you know how messages are propagated or how peers discover one another within a network and what sort of logic that requires. And it's, it's pretty intense. So, you know, we're, we're, we want to like build tools that help, um, help ease that, uh, um, that, that those abilities within the space. Cool. Well, I mean, one thing that I want to ask you, since you're kind of in the ETH2 world, what do you think of this new proposal by Vitalik about changing the structure of the shards and have you kind of taken time to, dig into what that looks like in practice yeah so yeah, we, we tried to comment shard. on that but we just are total dunces with this kind of stuff I, yeah I, i'm strictly a pundit guys so, so that like reduces the shard count from like what was it, like two 256 down to like 16 right mm -hmm. so eight so that's a reduction of one sixteenth of total shard numbers but it also multiplies the shard capacity by eight so it's a 50 percent over uh total reduction in size yeah, so I think it's a I think it's a more conservative play because if you think about like phase zero, like what's really happening is we're trying to like ease uh, the rollout of this new proof of stake based system without entirely depleting or like uh, re uh, reducing the risk that's going to be presented to the canonical ETH chain. I think that uh, by doing so in like an incremental way that mm -hmm. uh, that's more conservative that allows you to kind of like scale um, based on like what the user experience is going to be and what the system can actually provide. Um, I think that's like a much more solid and conservative play. I think that's really what, what it's about. And then it has something to do with cross-linking. And so this, this helped out build the whole cross-linking executions. Uh, again, I'm not using the right terminology. Are you familiar with, with, with how right, that so that's like more of like a phase two thing and like preparing for like, what's it going to look like when we implement or integrate these, like, uh, these, uh, execution environments. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a project that's kind of, that's led by the guys on the quilt team, the RN, like at the consensus RNT, that's Will Villanueva. He's like a really smart guy. I got, I had the pleasure of hanging out with him quite a bit when we were in Berlin. And um, he's actually a guy that you guys should probably have on the podcast because he's, he's yeah. really, uh, he's really 
kind of like leading a lot of those efforts. So like execution environments are essentially going to be functionally similar to something like side chains or like, you know, plasma or whatever mm -hmm. it is, the, whatever it is they talk about. It's just a logical addressable space in which you can kind of define the rules of engagement within that particular uh, shard essentially, or like execution environment. And I just had a conversation with Robert Drost about that this morning here at this conference. And uh, I mean, it, it, I think that, that, it's going to present a lot of value in the future because it's going to uh, provide, it, it's going to allow for more uh, uh, higher degrees of business logic that can be applied um, to Ethereum without reducing um, the, the, the value of, um, a, uh, of a public blockchain, um, but also kind of reducing the risk that uh, enterprise organizations are facing in terms of like security um, when it comes to like using these public chains. So I think it's going to provide much more applicable value and like a broader uh, uh, use cases for business. So uh, just just to kind of break this down for those people that are not as familiar, phase one, phase two, phase three, that kind of stuff, phase zero. So what's happening is uh, there's been proposed a change to what is going to be the first stage in ETH2, right? And then... Uh, that will, you know, affect how the shards communicate with each other, which is like this cross-linking that David brought up. And then you said in phase two, like that, when, when actual, uh, like talk to, like, tell me like, you know, what's the timeline between these things happening? Like what, what do the shards do? Like, are there even going to be shards in phase zero? Like just kind of really well, dumb it down. So sharding is more of like a, a data practice. Right, so it's more of a way to like distribute a data load across a network of distributed machines. So uh, that's gonna increase availability and redundancy. Um, and then from a protocol perspective, like sharding is going to provide uh, different addressable spaces that users can participate in. So I don't know what the timeline is gonna be on these things and I don't wanna like make any guesses to that because like, those are things that are outside of my really like realm of expertise or like knowledge on it. But um, I think like the reason to do those phases and roll that out in phases is to be more conservative in the approach because Ethereum has a lot on the line, right? I mean, it's like already managing, you know, what, $50 billion worth of assets. So you don't really want to, you know, you want to tread lightly when it comes to like other people's money or the money of like the value of a community mm -hmm. essentially to like, uh, within a system. So I think by doing that, you know, in phases and like rolling things out incrementally, it's like much more conservative and it's going to provide a better, more uh, scalable solution that has, you know, more longevity. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit more about like, what is phase zero going to look like now? Like what can we expect? Well, I don't know because there's been some changes recently and I've been out of the loop for the past month getting married. So when I came back, like there are all of these like <laughs> things are looking a little different and everybody's coming back from DevCon. I haven't had the time to catch up with Danny Ryan, but like I know like phase zero is just essentially creating like the beacon chain and allowing people to like stake and kind of testing validator processes. And then you're going to roll out next what would be the logical progression is like actual shards and like being able to like distribute this uh this data load between different groups or like you know sections of the network and then after that you would want execution environments which uh apply higher degrees of application logic to what can occur within these groups or these shards and then after that you know um you're probably going to want to try to um, eliminate a lot of the overhead that's required from proof of stake or uh, from proof of work and like uh, head toward a more proof of stake based model. And like the whole point of proof of stake is to like eliminate the costly overhead that's often associated with proof of work. But I'm also, like I said this before, I'm not really like, I'm kind of like, I'm not like a proof of stake purist. I'm also like proof of work is pretty cool. So I don't, you know, really, know if that's something that I would do in terms of the architecture. I think that's something that's more like proof of that still takes advantage of like proof of work as like a fundamental security layer and like uses proof of stake to alleviate that computational overhead is more likely in my opinion, a more viable solution. But you know, I mean, there are people that are smarter than me thinking about these problems, you know, so I'll just let them figure it out. So, I, I mean, I that's actually something I wanted to talk about because I remember on episode 20, that's, I looked that up on my phone while you were talking, yeah. but episode 20 is when you last appeared. This is probably going to be episode 92. So, 
Damn, uh, dude. It's, it's been a fucking crazy ride. Started from the bottom. Yeah. In our last podcast, you 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 kind of had a contrarian view from most ETH developers that yeah. you're unsure about POS. I'm and still unsure that you like, about it. Yeah. Can we, talk, can we just talk about, like, what's your mental model around these security protocols and where is your apprehension towards POS? Well, so I take a, like a more traditional, like academic leaning view on distributed system design. And I believe that everything needs to start with a mathematical model and formula and a formal specification and formal verification. And I know that a lot of the architecture and the approach that developers take these days are kind of like loosey goosey, you know, like not everybody is, has an appreciation for like, you know, uh, for, for formal verification. I think that's something that's very important. And I think that proof of stake is like a new consensus algorithm that hasn't really been tested at scale. Like a lot of people have built these systems, but none of them have the longevity that a proof of work system has. Like obviously Bitcoin has been around for like, a, you know what? I, th- I feel like what, like our interview was like on like the 10 year anniversary of Bitcoin or something like that. Like the last time I was on, like on. It was pretty close. Yeah. It was pretty close. But it, yeah. either way, it's almost, it's going on 11 years. Proof of work has not stopped. You can't stop it. Bitcoin is un, uh, like unstoppable, no matter how unscalable it may be. <laughs> like, right? Like, can't, you can't stop it. You can't, you can't scale it, but whatever. It'll keep on trucking. You know what I mean? So, uh, like, I, I just think that, like, you know, why reinvent the wheel or why change a good thing? Let's just, like, figure out what's, the most viable way to like build layer two solutions that could help scale that uh, fundamental proof of work, because that's what provides the highest degree of security within a public peer to peer network. You know, I think that proof of stake is based mostly on economic incentive. And while that's great, uh, it doesn't make like a, I just don't think it makes like an entirely secure consensus. Like that's just me though. I might be wrong. I'm stupid. What about how uh, proof of stake allows for a lot, much faster finality? Because in, in Ethereum 2.0, we're supposed to have finality within six minutes. I, I mean, if if it can... Yeah, I think, if that, can... I think that's... I mean, a lot of that is optimistic, though. Really? And it's not... And I don't... And I'm not an optimist. <laughs> you know? And I just think that taking an optimistic stance, like, opens up for a lot of, um, a lot of uh, bad stuff. How is it uh, optimistic? Yeah, I just think that proof of stake is... Uh, is optimistic because it relies on people adhering to the rules and uh, observing that value and uh, kind of uh, uh, expects the best out of people, I think, to a certain extent. But, um, you know, like I said, maybe wrong. I mean, prove me wrong. You guys, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Celsius.network. Celsius is a really cool application for both lending out your cryptocurrency as well as taking out loans or collateralized uh, loans for your cryptocurrency, right? So you either collateralize it and take out stable coins or can lend it out and get interest on your crypto in their savings accounts. They have pretty much every mainstream crypto you can think of. They support it. They support Bitcoin. They support Ethereum. They support every single stable coin. And they have the absolute best rates on stable coins. It's actually really impressive. Like if you have stable coins, this destroys any sort of like a bank account or anything like that. And the reason why they can get you close to 10% on your stable coins is because they are trying to be a new kind of financial institution with 80% profit sharing and really, really small margins. They are trying to make it as easy as possible. Totally. Uh, The the rates are are pretty incredible. I feel like these these guys are the Binance of borrowing lending platforms just because they accept so many different coins. Uh, Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash, Zcash, Zerox, Dash, Stellar, Paxos, uh, Hong Kong Dollar, Australian Dollar, EOS, like they, they've got it all uh, and, and their rates are pretty insane. So over 8% on USDC right now, uh, 3.75% on Ether, uh, eight, eight, over 8% on Maker uh, on DAI. Uh, so these rates are all pretty high, higher than, than the DeFi rate right now. So if you guys want to trade your contract risk for centralization risk and get two more percent on your DAI or USDC, Celsius Network is probably the place for you. And if you use promo code POV after you sign up, you can get $10 of BTC when you make a deposit of 200 or more. So if you're going to do it, make sure to get that $10 of BTC with promo code POV. 
Next up, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin 2020. Bitcoin 2020, of course, is a conference that is put on by myself and the Bitcoin Magazine team. Getting really excited about this event, we just announced Tony Hawk as our second speaker. Uh, the speaker we announced before that was Nick Zabo. We're trying to change it up, make sure that we have, you know, we kind of uh, differ from the usual crew. Uh, so Bitcoin 2020, we're trying to keep it interesting. We're also keeping it interesting with a complete festival vibe. Anyone that went to Bitcoin 2019 will attest to how much fun it was. Use promo code POV for, I believe it's 25% off your ticket, which are, is already super cheap. But yeah, POV at checkout. Get that 25% off. Make sure to go to the best Bitcoin event of 2020 in March in San Francisco. Make sure to go to Bitcoin2020conference.com. I was running a company that was uh, uh, like a hosting company and we weren't really catering to uh, like the most uh, wholesome audience uh, like our user base. Mm -hmm. So uh, most of like their payments were made in stolen credit cards. So I was like, let's switch to just Bitcoin. Let's just take Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. right? right. And um, so I got a bunch of Bitcoin and this was a while ago. I didn't think anything would fucking have a value would come from it. I was just like, damn, I need to get rid of these Bitcoin bags. So like I started, I went on to like mini vids. And I bought like cam girl like stuff like with Bitcoin because they accepted Bitcoin. So I bought, spent that on porn. Bank chain should probably be doing that kind of thing too, by the way. <laughs> accepting <laughs> Bitcoin? No, not accepting Bitcoin, but like, I mean, that's the direction they're heading. In, like, I'm pretty sure, but like, you know, that's what I did because I couldn't spend it anywhere else. And I didn't think anything of value would come from it. I didn't really get into it because I was like, I'm going to make a bunch of money. It was just, you know, something that was practical at the time. So. You're also yeah, a, yeah. a POV bag holder too. Yeah, yeah. Most of my most of my assets are wrapped up in POV tokens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could you could trade some of your shit coins for POV on Uniswap. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that some of them are worthless. Like Poly, what was it? Poly. Uh, poly chains, fucking worthless. No, no. Poly chains. It was a uh, Poly Swarm. Yeah, oh, what I remember, is like, that? Poly okay. Swarm. Dude. All right, I'm gonna cut this off. We don't need a fucking good shit, deep on shit Zach's fucking <laughs> my shit bag goldens, dude. <laughs> See, but the beautiful thing is that you have 30% Bitcoin, so you're yeah, better yeah, than the yeah. average person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At my heart, if we get down to it, Bitcoin is still like you know you can't fucking go wrong with Bitcoin. Man. Mm -hmm. So okay, like, love Ethereum. I, I love experimenting. I love other things. Layer two solutions are great, but fucking Bitcoin, dude. It's like the Chuck E. Cheese Fair token. Enough. It is the Chuck E. Cheese token. All right. Wait, so Zach, Zach, why why are you spending so much time in the ETH community and ETH space? Like, you could be trying to scale Bitcoin. Uh, I just don't think that Bitcoin is scalable. And also, I don't like C++. I mean, I know there are other implementations, but I, like, veered away from Bitcoin in, like, 2015. And um, I think I think the Ethereum community is just, like, I have a lot of friends there. I think that there's a lot more potential. I mean, if you think about the logical progression of things, like one, Bitcoin uh, allowed for, you know, peer-to-peer -peer transfer of value without any intermediary, okay? And then after that, uh, Ethereum comes out with smart contracts and that allows you to apply higher degrees of uh, like logic to how those transactions are executed. And like, what's the next step? I think like, you know, is it going to be to, I don't know, everybody's working toward the same thing and it's essentially like, how can we practically scale? And I think that that's going to be addressed on the peer-to-peer -peer layer because what we want to do is create, what is, what are we doing? What are we building? We're building like, a, I think what I'm building, what I'm trying to work towards is like a decentralized web uh, of value between users. And I think that's going to be addressed on like the peer-to-peer -peer layer. And I, I feel like if anything's going to do that, it's going to need to be something that already has established value. And I think that Ethereum is the more likely, um, uh, platform to do that on. I'm not saying that it's going to be. Could not. It could be something else. I don't know. And it, when that comes around, I'm like flexible and I'm not uh, like tribalistic or maximalist on anything. Like I'm a maximalist for like Web three and like a decentralized world that allows me to transfer value between like you know groups of people and control our data and like you know that's what I'm about. And whatever whatever helps support that vision. That's what I would, would, would move to. And that could be a combination of different solutions. You know, it might not just be one platform, you know? So that's what I'm moving towards and that's where I'm heading. And I just feel like most of those needs are being addressed within the Ethereum community. It's not perfect, you know, but I think that it, since it's open source, we can make it whatever we want. 
So how do you feel about Bitcoiners and especially Christian, I actually probably should have flipped that, uh, Christians and, and Bitcoiners general criticism uh, criticisms of these uh, DeFi applications, which are supposed to be decentralized, supposed to be permissionless, supposed to be autonomous, but you know, Compound has a backdoor, um, DYDX probably has a backdoor, uh, and yeah. all of this, this whole like um, dichotomy between like permissionless, unstoppable code and the fact that most of these applications that we currently have are not permissionless and, and probably stoppable given some decent amount of effort. How do you how do you square that in your head? Well, that's a tricky question, right? It's like, what are you more about? Like this whole crypto anarchist type of um, uh, uh, view or mentality, or are you trying to like create something that actually has practical value today? And I mean, there's like, you know, you're kind of torn between these worlds of like, what do I want to do? Is it like full on like libertarian type of like, like leaning or is it something that like is more practical and attainable now? And that's like creating a solution that provides like practical business value and everyday value. And, and, and there isn't really like a one size fits all solution, you know? And, um, but let me just clarify that. I think like DeFi is a stupid word and term. And I think that DeFi is just, I, I, I don't like it and it doesn't make sense to me. And to some extent, I feel like it might just be another buzzword that people have come up with to like kind of uh, hold over the bag holders and like appease them. You know, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit How do you feel harsh. about open finance? What was that? How do you feel about open finance? Is that any better? I don't know, man. I just don't think that finance for me is like the focal point. Like I, the way that I view crypto assets is like a captcha for a decentralized web. And I don't think that that entire stack is going to be entirely reliant on, on, uh, on, uh, you know, crypto assets or like blockchain necessarily. I think that's just like one piece of a much broader puzzle, you know, like, what are we trying to build? Like, you know, why Mm -hmm. did I get into this? Why did most people get into this that I know of? Like, you know, like some people got into it because they want to make money. Sure. That's cool. Most people. Okay, cool. But before, before the fucking ICO thing, and like all these like weirdos got into it, it was really like a different breed of weirdo. And everybody looked like heavy Linux users. And like, nobody knew what was going on. And we were building like, open peer to peer systems like Freenet, you know, like, that's what got me into it. And that's really cool. That's stuff that I want to do. And I think that's the future. And that's like the value for me. I don't care about like, making money really like the value that i see is being able to participate in the system that you build you know and i don't think that that's entirely financial i think that finance and economics are used uh more as tools to enforce incentive and to provide a some degree of civil resistance like if you think about something like 4chan right if every time i posted was a micropayment i would be much less likely to just shit post nonstop, right because i have to pay every time i'm posting that picture of dick butt you know what I mean? Like how many of those am I willing to post and pay for? Like, you know, I mm-hmm. think that it limits it and that's what you need in a peer to peer web. That's actually decentralized. And that's not entirely like, like blockchain. Like there's, there are solutions like secure scuttlebutt. There's IPFS, you know, there's like a lot of different solutions that are going to need to be able to interoperate. And I think that uh, blockchain is just going to act as that like crypto assets and specifically are going to act as that, uh, that way to help enforce those rules in a, in a way that's automated without an inter, intermediary or trusted third party. Speaking with your perspective of the direction of Ethereum, are you like, do you like Ethereum's general trend of where it's going? Not necessarily the development of the Ethereum blockchain, but maybe what's being built on Ethereum. Like do the things that are currently being built on Ethereum interest you today? Or are, are they, is there a missing niche that, that a missing need of Zach Coles that, isn't yeah. really being answered by Ethereum. How, how do you feel about Ethereum's usefulness for you personally? Um, I still don't think it's entirely like useful necessarily, like unless like in a much broader sense. And mm. I think that a lot like the issue is that a lot of organizations or businesses or projects or teams are much too crypto forward. And I've been using the analogy of like, um, if we're trying to create things that are actually useful to like the world and people that are outside of our little bubble, I mean, it's like arguing about which is the best anime with somebody who just doesn't give a shit about anime. You know, it's like, like nobody cares about your cryptocurrencies. Like nobody cares about that. What is the practical business application that we can use? Like what are the, the use cases? 
like outside of this. Like I don't want to complete 80 steps of anything to do whatever and partake in this system. Like we need to like lower that barrier to entry. We need to make things like much more usable. And I think that requires protocols that are more flexible because not everything is going to be entirely private network, nothing or private or permission based or public. Right. Like there, there's going to be a combination of those things and the protocol is going to need to have enough flexibility to be able to cater to those different use cases. What about my personal belief that in the future, there's really just going to be two main blockchains that have 99% of all value and usage, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum. Do you subscribe to that idea? I think that's uh, I mean, I don't like I don't know. I don't want to speak in absolutes, mm-hmm. but like if there were a, like I, I would be inclined to agree. Yeah. I mean, cool. Uh, I would also, I, I think it would depend though, because neither, like both of those protocols are pretty rigid. You know what I mean? Like they're, they don't have the flexibility to allow you to like customize your business logic. So if I'm a company or an organization that's trying to build on the blockchain, I'm not going to be able to take advantage of those use cases and that, that value necessarily without doing a significant amount of uh, like re-engineering, like as it stands right now. So I think that we need something that's much more modular and that's more like a like a development kit that provides a way to connect all of these protocols and allows people to pick and choose how they want to develop their own. And I think that's something that like ETH2 can provide within like execution environments in the future. I just don't think it's there yet. And I think we're still like a couple of years out, at least. Something that one of our past guests, Jacob Gadakian, talked about is he's kind of he's bearish on ETH, but he is bullish on uh private blockchains that leverage Bitcoin as money. And it sounds like you could see that for a business, like a business wanting to use a private blockchain um, or like an application specific blockchain, Mm -hmm. but the token in it is, you know, some sort of public crypto, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't have its own token. Um, Like, what do you think of that idea? I mean, what would Bitcoin be used in this model? Like like, like as a settlement like layer, or are you talking about like as the asset itself? I don't think Bitcoin would be appropriate because a 10 minute block time is too limiting. Um, and if I'm in a private network, I don't need a 10 minute block time. Well, no, I'm saying like, no, it would not like that leverages Bitcoin directly for security that it just literally like you put UTXOs in it and then it's on the ledger. You trade around the UTXOs. Yeah. So that's another, Bitcoin. another interesting thing like UTXOs. I think that UTXOs are much more efficient than like uh, account based Merkle like uh, um, uh, structures like in Ethereum, like UTXOs are, 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 are require less overhead, you know? So they're kind of like more efficient. So I think that like in a model, like in the future where we're talking about like a, something like a decentralized web where there was a capture, I think, that, I mean, that's what proof of work was designed for. That's what UTXO was from, based on, like, like Adam Back's like hash cash, you know? Like, like all that was was a civil resistance or like a, uh, a way to reduce spam. Like, so, but I don't know. I, I don't think that it would be necessarily the best use case for like a private blockchain. And if it came down to something that was Bitcoin versus Ethereum, I, I would say that Ethereum would be more likely for that use case, but I don't think that either one of them are appropriate right now. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of any business logic that you want to put on the blockchain anyways. So. Well, here's a good use. Here's something you need to think about though. Like, is that when you're talking about large enterprise businesses, like, uh, like Walmart, for instance, right? They have a, their own economy internally, right? So they have different departments and different like uh, people that are working together, like uh, contractors or whatever, and they have their own economies. Like, so uh, blockchain would be a way that would reduce uh, uh, the, the overhead and operational cost and risk associated with dealing with all of these disparate like uh, uh, branches and divisions and uh, organizations, contractors, just people in general that are all transferring value between one another. And it doesn't even need to necessarily leave that system in terms of like fiat. It's just a way that you need to be able to keep track of it on a ledger that's appropriate and specific to that organization. And I think that's a very viable and practical use case, although it's boring. (laughs) It's not going to change the world necessarily. It's boring, but it's going to save money and operational costs for, for enterprise and it's going to reduce risk and it's going to automate a lot of things that, are going to uh, are kind of like weak spots or bottlenecks in these processes, these business processes. And like another thing was when I was like working in cybersecurity, I was like going for my CISSP uh, with an enterprise. A big thing that they want to focus on is the confidentiality, integrity, and accessibility of database assets. And blockchain is a way that you can automate 
that CIA triad and acquiring that. And uh, I mean, it, 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 it's not like groundbreaking necessarily. And like, uh, it doesn't need to be entirely blockchain, quote unquote, in the way that we view it now within a public network. But I think that that entire process can be automated effectively using some sort of uh, variation of what we have available today. So what do you feel like of like Quorum or Hyperledger or some of that like business private blockchains now? I think they're heading in the right direction and some of them could be viable in the future. I don't think that they necessarily are right now. I think that there needs to be more, uh, there needs to be additional development. And I think that, uh, I mean, it just needs to be uh, uh, like uh, worked on a little bit. I mean, I may be wrong. There's a lot of really great solutions out there for enterprise and Hyperledger and Quorum are a couple of those, but I think that we need to be much less crypto focused and crypto forward. I have I don't have too many more comments. And most of my uh, with with the future of crypto, what what do you hope that the future of of crypto brings? Maybe in the well, two year and then twenty year time frame. So, like I said, like fulfilling that vision of that Web three vision and like mm. building a decentralized web that allows you to transfer value. Like if you view something like an execution environment or a side chain as like a cluster of nodes that can all serve static data like web pages and uh, they're incentivized to host that data by being paid in a crypto asset, I think that's really viable. And mm. it also provides something that's censorship resistant that can't be stopped. I mean, think about like the printing press. Like before the printing press came about, the Catholic church was in charge of who was uh, able to read the Bible who got it and which languages it was translated into. And when the printing press came out, uh, all of a sudden, like this information could be rapidly spread between anybody uh, for very low cost. Mm -hmm. And it was translated into languages that it had never been translated into before. And I mean, that gave, and that also allowed people to share uh, concepts and ideologies that were contrary to the Catholic church. And it gave way to the scientific revolution, which gave way to the information age and gave way to the industrial revolution and now look at us now. And I think that like this evolution and the ability to spread and decimate that information throughout a population is what's going to help us as a, as a, as a species evolve and get to the next stage of our evolution. It's like spreading that information and making sure that it's available and accessible by everybody, regardless of their social class or their geographic location, just, you know, all of that. Before kind of that, mini tangent which is super <laughs> interesting um you kind of mentioned like if there's data centers that could be run on you know censorship resistant digital money that would be very robust and potentially censorship resistant not i mean we don't know it just depends on how the people yeah. operate them right yeah. and how many steps they take to evade uh identification or whatever yeah. censorship like well that doesn't seem like it's necessarily like ethereum web 3 that just seems like a business that's trying to that's trying to avoid the state that's using decentralized money no i don't think it's necessarily avoiding the state and i don't think it's necessarily about money i think what it's about is consent and i think that it it's about the consent of the parties that are interacting and making sure that everybody understands the logic and the rules of that interaction and that they all agree to that and that way it's algorithmically enforced and that and that's and that uh that, that supersedes state, you know, like there's no state, like it, it, the state is just a way to enforce those rules between participants. That's what a government does, right? If we can algorithmically do that, then there is no need for a state because everybody is engaged in their own consensual interactions and everybody that's participating within that interaction, uh, like agrees to those terms and knows what they're, what's going to happen. And they're ultimately responsible. And I think that's self, you know, like, like sovereignty. Okay. I mean, uh, we could, I think we could dig into that yeah. a lot more, but um, I, I'm afraid that that rabbit hole is going to lead us to another 45 minutes. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I feel you. I mean, and, and these are just philosophical like yeah. answers mm-hmm. for you. These aren't strictly technical, like, you know, I mean, but it, it's funny how much like, philosophy is present in this very technical world of uh, mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies and uh, blockchain. Yeah, no, really. It's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, do you ever sit around like philosophizing about like what this is going to do to the world? Well, I mean, I went to school for philosophy and pre-law. Dude, what didn't you go to school for? <laughs> well, I mean, I went, okay. Well, no, no, I, mean, no, I went to no, school let's, for like, let's talk about philosophizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just yeah, stay but, on topic. Um, I think that I have been a lot more lately 
just because I'm kind of questioning like, what is it we're doing here? Like, what is the point of what we're building? Like, where is this heading? Especially as a person that has like invested a significant amount of time and money and interest in this space. I just want to make sure that like, I'm making the most of my life. Like I just got married. I have a family now. Like I need to start thinking about the future. And it's like, what am I trying to build here? Like, you know, and it's, it's not just like, if I just wanted to make money, I'd quit running this company and I'd go work at Amazon or something like that. Right. But it's like about something more. It's about a movement to me and less than something that's strictly technological. Like, cause what we're doing is we're building systems that are easing the friction of having to deal with other human beings. Social scalability. Yeah, pretty much. Going back to what you were talking about, how, um, uh, you, what you want the direction of crypto to produce is the envision of, of web three with unstoppable web pages and unstoppable payments, micropayments, streaming payments to, to people who are running these things. Uh, I haven't read the book yet, but I'm really looking forward to it getting released on audible, but it kind of reminded me of, of what I've hear a lot coming out of the, the sovereign individual where people can, is it getting is, released on audible? Yeah. In late November, early December. Wait, I, I don't, I haven't heard. I'm not familiar oh, with that. Who, who wrote it? Uh, Christian, I'm going to let you take this one. Oh God, he put me on the spot. I forget the names, but, uh, like literally I'm the slowest reader ever and it's not on audio and I'm just like, it's been a book? I've been chugging it's a through book, it. Yeah. Like I'm like 45% done with it right now, but yeah, it's fantastic. Sovereign individual. Yeah. It's titled the sovereign individual. Um, can you give like us the spark notes insight? It's like insights into, uh, or, uh, into the transition into the digital world. Yeah. Um, really it's like dude they're 1997 talking about e-currencies oh i saw you tweet something about dude, that yeah, like I've been, a, like i always tweet ago, passages yeah. yeah yeah uh yeah no that sounds really interesting to me i mean this is just shit that i've come up pulled out of my ass kind of and also just gathered from like conversations with other people in the space and like you know my friends and my coworkers and my peers i don't think that i'm like going off on like a crazy tangent here this is mm-hmm. like what people are actively no, trying to work on no 100 yeah. percent. so like uh, it, it's just, I think that there's like a lack of like real distinct vision that's like in the, in the space kind of, but also that kind of comes with the, with the territory because it is decentralized and it is like free open source software. Every, anybody can build whatever they want. So whether that's DeFi or web three or the decentralized web or whatever it is you want to build on this thing, like if it's, these are the tools that you need to do it, then do it. And who cares? Like, you know, like just keep building. Just keep building, even if no one wants it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would suggest like, you know, uh, separating hobby from like career, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like uh, identifying practical business models. I mean, I'm kind of like at this crossroad where it's like, you know, I'm like emerging from this whole like crypto anarchist type of motivation and like gearing more and toward like a, like a, like a business minded (laughs) type of thing, which you know, that's just getting older. It's just growing up. You know, I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm not like riding my bike around and like hanging out, doing a bunch of weird shit. Cause I'm young. I'm like, now I have like a house and like a dog and a wife. <laughs> you, you, you keep, you keep bringing this theme back of, uh, of you, of you growing older. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been doing this shit for years now. <laughs> like, you know. One of our recent guests, uh, Alex Fetsky, the CEO of Amber, he, criticize a couple of the kind of like DeFi protocols for not having a business model per se and how that um, will make them uncompetitive over time versus other people are trying to serve the same service that, you know, have a business model that's directly profitable. Right. What's your kind of take on that? Well, if you're going to run a business, I think you need a business model. So otherwise it's just a hobby. Like, you know, Um, so I, I think like, the space isn't going to be scalable if people don't come up with their own ways to generate value. And I think it's more than just nerding out over code and being like, you know, a tech maximalist. I think it's like, you know, what can I do to provide value and help uh, like fulfill a more long-term vision? And that's why I was saying like, you know, that's also an issue is that there aren't any distinct vision. There's no distinct vision that's laid out for the future of what these people are building. A lot of them. You know, and I think uh, that's kind of what puts people in, in, a, in an unsure ground and like figuring out which direction they're going to take their project, you know, and, and uh, like a lot of projects and groups are basing their, their, uh, their, 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 their very dependent on, uh, on grants and like from 
in different organizations. And it's not just Ethereum specific, like every platform out there that did a big ass ICO is now putting out grants there to try to attract more developer interest. And they don't really necessarily care if they're giving those grants to projects that have viable use cases. They just want attention and developers on their platform. So they're just putting the money out there. And I think that also gives kind of like a false uh, sense of hope and trajectory for a lot of these projects and a lot of this talent. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, that's my two cents. Yeah. My opinion on this whole thing is, is so like we're kicking up more dust than what is settling. Like the crypto industry changes by on the month by month basis. And and so daily. Yeah. Right. And so like, there's no chance for the dust to actually settle for our business models to actually get established. Because if you lock yourself into a business model today, like it's going to become invalidated in like six months. Um, not if you have a long-term vision yeah, and yeah, not if you stick to that mm-hmm. and not if you have a roadmap and you have a mm-hmm. timeline and you understand right. what the market needs, you mm-hmm. know, like if we're heading in a, like a, a very tangible direction, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that like adhering to that vision is what's going to like stick, like whether it makes sense to anybody else or not, like, you know, just like mm-hmm. understanding what your personal vision is and, and just, uh, dedicating yourself to that. Right. But, but you also do need to find that vision, that vision inside of some reality of what blockchain will all definitely be in 15 years. Right. Because, you know, uh, what was it? What was it? where was I going to go with this? I mean, cause you can, you can lock yourself into a profitable business model now, but that doesn't mean it's going to be profitable later as this ecosystem sure. changes. And so it's a little bit, a gamble onto what is the future use case of a blockchain, which, Seems well, I think that's, I think that's, I don't think that's necessarily specific to blockchain. I think that's mm. just the tech industry as a whole. Like if you like oh, before fair. blockchain, it was cloud migrations. Like, you know, like, oh, we're going to the cloud, we're going serverless, we're going to like whatever. And like before that, it was like, you know, the whole web two model. And then it was like hosting and data centers, right. And data center migration. And before that, it was like, it was mainframes and really understanding like the progress and like of technology as a whole like you can see where it's heading, you know? So I think that that requires more understanding and education and the background of like uh, of technology itself and like computer science, but also business and like what are business needs and like where is business heading and what are the needs of people that are running and starting businesses? What are going to be the needs of the next generation of business? Like, you know, everything's becoming increasingly more digital. Like everything of value is going to exist digitally. Like you were just talking about Audible. Like, like I have a Kindle, right? How many books do I actually own? I don't really own very many books. I mean, I own a lot of books, but I don't read them anymore. I read my Kindle, right? You listen to Audible, like, you know, like those are digital assets that are of value to me and you, like all of that can be represented digitally, you know? And that's what the business, that's what the business model is, 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 uh, is forming itself around, you know? I think like that's something that's really important. And I think that's really important for the scalability and longevity of the space is to come up with these business models because it's not just business. It's like providing value. How can you provide value and make lives easier and like improve them? I I love bringing you on because like you don't hold anything back, no reservations at all. (laughs) Um, And you, 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 it's like, you're an, you're a Bitcoin maximalist developing on ETH. It's kind of crazy. Like, you know, it just, it, it, you, you break every model. No, dude, um, I'm a technology maximalist and I'm, and I, and I, and I place value ahead of, 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 uh, of, of anything else, right? Value and vision, right? That's it. Word. Well, I'm going to label you however I want to because I get <laughs> in ways that I don't that that I don't agree with. So, Bitcoin maximalist? Are you not a Bitcoin maximalist? Uh, I'm a Bitcoiner. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a Bitcoin maximalist. And sometimes I'm toxic. I don't know. People just throw all this kind of stuff. No, you're not toxic, dude. You're not like that. Like, I'm, I must be because dude, I'm starting like, to get blocked by a lot of ETH. It's kind of funny. There's some like I don't know, man. There's some like weirdo Bitcoiners out there. I'm not gonna like say anything. On this, uh, dude, there's like, weirdo everyone out there. That's true, but they're the kind of like racist ones. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Under, you know, you know, like, dude, like that, like, what, what's that, like, like, Ragnarok, dude, or whatever. Ragnar. Like, dude, so like, I've actually met Ragnar a couple times. Yeah. Like, him in person versus him on Twitter is night and day. Dude, he seems like he just comes across to me as a guy that, like, casually uses the N word. I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't know. <laughs> hey, so if, if you think he's racist, his wife is Asian. Really? Yeah. So well, that's not that to too much. Yeah, hey, I mean, I'm just throwing out, he's, he's not a white supremacist, at least. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, no, no, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, man. I'm like, 
you know, Ragnar, we've met a couple times. You know, you seem like a very reasonable person. And uh, actually, his, he has a podcast called Bitcoin and Guns. Uh, no, which I know. Is yeah, the yeah, yeah. Intersection of, uh, of the Bitcoin community and the gun community, which I think is very interesting. Um, so yeah, you should but check that, that out. Both of those attract like, we, well, whatever. No, yeah. I mean, that's actually something that's like, yeah. there's a market for that. There's more of a market for that than there is for like a lot of the other bullshit we're pulling out of our ass. Very uh, freedom, sovereignty oriented people. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that we need those people in society. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Zach, where can people find you? Who do you want to hear from? All that good stuff. I, you can find me on Twitter at zero X Z A K. And I want to hear from all of you. Let's hang out. Let's drink some beers. Let's talk about, you know, emergence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> emergence. All right, let's go. Yeah, let's talk about emergence <laughs> after that over some freaking uh, Hawaiian pizza. You guys, you can find me at CK underscore snarks. You can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. Busting out lots of content. Freaking give us some likes, give us some retweets, you know, all that good stuff. David, where can people find you? You can find me at Trustless Date, both on Twitter and on Medium and at a brewery at the next ETH Global event with Zach, so long as we're, it's the same ETH Global event and we're both there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, t- yeah, totally. Yeah, we did so much content today. We put out a YouTube video uh, with Leighton. Uh, Andrew Keys just got released. Uh, this video is going up at the end of the day. That's three pieces of content in one day. So if you guys appreciate this content, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us those thumbs ups. <laughs> thumbs ups, that's a new thing. Uh, and give us those five-star reviews in your in your iTunes or, PO, or podcast uh, browser app, whatever it is. All right. Thanks, Zach, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for your, Thank your you. second appearance. Always a great, great time. Uh, yeah, and your, your POV to token third, in, man, next in year. your wallet. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah every year on uh, Bitcoin <laughs> white paper birthday. Hey, Bitcoin 2020, it's happening. Tony POV, Hawk. Yeah, Tony Hawk. POV. He's going to do a 900. <laughs> and POV token. <laughs> POV has a discount code for Bitcoin 2020 and POV token on Uniswap. It's not something that we recommend at all, but check it out. All right, bye. <laughs> I, th- I, I recommend it. It's one of my favorite tokens. Yeah, all right, bye. It's no longer $6.90, though. It's like $7.50. <laughs> the POV token? Going, yeah, it's a, POV token's going up in value. Sure, We've man, made three... Wait, what? Yeah. Is it really? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just sent it to you. I just sent it to zackhold.eth. It's in, right. there's, there's 69 of them, and there's zero decimals, so you can't split them up. are one of the 11 holders. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Do you believe? Do you believe?